You know, it's so cool that Mel said a couple times in, in worship about just being still and knowing that he is God. Ma- many times that's very uncomfortable for us, <laughs> is to just be still and to make room for him to be able to speak to us because we are such active people. We want things going on that will occupy us and our time and we don't, we don't want our minds being still. Uh, because sometimes it means we have to deal with us, <laughs> and uh, that's not always comfortable. But in that place of rest, that place of being still, God is able to to speak to our hearts. And uh, as I was studying this week, one of the scriptures that the Lord spoke to my heart was, be still and know that I'm God. It was to be in that place uh, of just being quiet before Him and being still before him so that he can share with us what he has on his heart for us. And uh, so as I was meditating on that, I thought it was just cool that the Lord had that come out today through, through Melanie a couple of different times, to, that we just be conscious of that. We live in a very, very fast-paced, hectic society. And so it does not intentionally afford us that ability to just rest and to be still with him and so when we are intentional in that I think it's then that the Lord really uh, comes in and meets with us because that's what he's been waiting for is that place and that time with us he's ever waiting and wanting to be with us is that amazing the God of heaven desires he made his abode with us and he said I'll dwell with you I'll live in you and uh, even in that, it, it's so easy just to be busy and to stay busy and not allow that time. So that kind of ties in with where we've been the past few weeks. I want to uh, go back and reference, uh, revisit the parable of the sower. That's what we had talked about uh, last week when we closed. In uh, Matthew 13, it's in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and in Luke 8, the, uh, this parable of the sower is mentioned And Jesus himself said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of them and any of the things that I have to tell you? So Jesus himself taught about the importance of the parable of the sower, and and he went to explain that. In Matthew 13, he explained it, verses 18 through 23. He said, uh, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand then the, understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. So I'll stop there and say, Jesus himself set the context of what this is. He said, when he hears the word of the kingdom, that's what God is sowing. He's sowing the word of the kingdom into our hearts. He'll do that through pastors. He'll do that through songs. He'll do that through uh, our quiet time with him. But God is the sower. He's the one that's sowing the word. And he's desiring uh, to sow that word in our hearts. So he, he breaks down here the different soils, the four different soils. And um, he, the first is the one who hears the word but doesn't understand it. The other is the one who received it on stony, on stony ground. He hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself but endures only for a while. 
For when tribulation and persecution uh, arise because of the word. See, I think that's important. Not because of, I don't know how to say that. Not because of our, uh, well, mistakes is the nicest way to say it, I guess. Not because, not because, he said when persecution arises, not because we fly off the handle, not because we do something we shouldn't have done, but because of the word. Does that make sense? For the word's sake. He said persecution, tribulation can arise because of the word. Now, there are times, the reason I said that, there are times that we do things, and we'll do it in the name of Jesus. We'll do it in the name of religion, and we'll be self-righteous, and we'll act in a, a behavior that's not becoming of Jesus, not becoming of the word. And then when we get rebuked for it, we say, well, I'm just getting persecuted. No, you just did something stupid. Does that make sense? There are times that we just speak when we're not supposed to speak and we say things in the wrong spirit, in the wrong heart. That doesn't mean that we don't love God. It just means that we respond in a way that we weren't supposed to respond. And that persecution can come from that perspective, from that, from that thing. But here he's talking about those who receive the word and because of the word, when persecution and tribulation arise, they stumble. Verse 22 it says this, now he received, who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And I spent a little time on this one last week and I think what is, uh, what really spoke to my heart is he said he becomes unfruitful, which means there was a point and a time that he was fruitful. And uh, the word become there, it, it means this in the, uh, in the Greek, it means to cause to be. So because of the, um, the thorns, it caused, because of the uh, cares of the world, it caused him to become unfruitful. And as I meditate on that, I, I can look in my life in areas, and this is what I think is so important. I think we see a lot of it in our lives is that we can allow the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the lust of other things to come in and choke the words where we can be standing on the word and we can see fruit in our lives. We can be resting in the truth of what the word of God says. And then all of a sudden, when we choose to set, move our eyes and it's a choice, when we choose to move our eyes from him, from our rest, from our peace, to whatever's going on, those things begin to choke the word. And the life that's been released through that word begins to dwindle in us, and then we don't see the fruit of it come to pass, and then we get discouraged, and we start blaming God. Well, maybe we don't, but some do. <laughs> I have, just being transparent, I have. And we go, God, what's going on? Why isn't this working? And it's because we've allowed those things, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, to come in and choke the world. So that which had been fruitful now ceases to bring forth fruit. And as I was looking at that, I, I wanna, we'll look at the fourth soil also, but as I was looking at that, the Lord began to speak some things into my heart. And uh, he said this right here. I believe, he didn't say, this is me saying what he said to me, so... As I was looking at this, I believe there's a foundational truth buried in this parable of the soils, no pun intended, that's missed. And it's this, that the element, let me see, the foundation of what this, that makes this parable work is trust. 
Even in the, if you look in Genesis, he said, as long as the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest, right? As long as the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest. So when Jesus gave this, uh, this analogy, this parable, if you will, of the sower of the seed, he said that you've got to go out and you've got to sow the word. You've got to sow the seed. You've got to sow the word. And he gave it in a, in a, uh, a paradigm that we can understand in that of the seed. So when we sow a seed, that there's that time from the time it goes in the ground till it brings forth fruit. And he spoke this to my heart. He said, as we trust the Logos, which we've talked about a lot the past few weeks, which is the, ex- the expressed, the revealed will of God, the Logos of God. We see in John chapter one, he said that in the beginning was the Logos, the word. And so we see that that's Jesus. He is that Logos. And as we trust the Logos and plant it in our hearts, we trust that God will, bring, will speak a raiment to us that will bring a harvest in our lives. So the trust here is so important. And he took me immediately from there just to uh, a farmer. And uh, as I was meditating on that, he said this, a farmer trusts the system of seed time and harvest. So he is uh, faithful to plant a seed. And here's what the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, when we're in trust, you'll always see faithfulness. And he said, you can see faithfulness without trust because people will be faithful out of obedience. But you'll never see trust, true trust, without faithfulness. I'll say like that a minute. Be still and know that he is God. So that is in every area of our lives. So if I'm really in trust in an area of my life, what will be the fruit of that trust? Faithfulness. Okay, the farmer. The farmer trusts the system of seed time and harvest. Does he know all the chemistry of what happens inside of that seed and, and the physics of how it changes and all of that? Probably not. Some may, but probably not. But what he knows is this. When I put a seed in the ground and I put it in good ground and I water it and I leave it where it is doing what it's supposed to do, here's what happened. There's a, there's a crop that comes after that, Right? Just seed time and harvest. That's the, the, the basics of what takes place. You plant a seed in the ground, you water it, and what happens? It brings forth fruit. So he's faithful. Every year we see it when it's time to plant. We see farmers all over this area, just outside of our, our little town here of Gibsonville. It's an agricultural society out this way, whether it be tobacco, whether it be corn or whatever the crop is. They're faithful to do what? To put seed in the ground because they know if I don't put seed in the ground, there's a guarantee that they won't receive a harvest right? That's pretty simple. It's a guaranteed thing. If you don't put seed in the ground, you will not receive a harvest. So they entrust knowing that this system has worked from, and most farmers are generational farmers. You know, that's what I see is lacking in our culture is that generational uh, passing the baton. Not just in agricultural, but I see it in the church. It, if we look in the history of Israel, they, before they had the written word, you know how they, they, how they, generations after generation after generation knew? They sat down with their family and they told them, here's who God is to us. Here's who God is to us. So they, out of the testimony, revealed this is who God is. Not who he was, this is who he is. So they passed it down from generation to generation to generation. You see that also in the natural. When you see generational farmers, just because of the seed and seed time and harvest, I'm going to stay there. When we see that it was passed down, that here's what you do. You plant the seed. Here's how you plant the seed. Here's how you water it, how you care for it. And the result is you will get harvest. You'll get harvest if you keep the crop 
clean. You keep the soil clean and those things. So even in the natural, we can see that when there's true trust, there's faithfulness. Because if they weren't trusting, they wouldn't go back out and plant the seed the next year. Right? The same is true in our lives. When we come to a place of trust with the Lord, and that's what's so amazing, this soil of our heart, it deals with every avenue of our life. It deals with everything that we're walking in right now, everything that God is bringing us into. We were just earlier in worship. We prayed and said, God, take me there. So what we have to do is an act of faith is say, God, I believe that you want to take me there. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that there's things that I don't even understand that I haven't seen, but you'll reveal them to me by your spirit. So I'm trusting you to take me there. So what does that mean? So when I place that trust in him, there will be an opportunity for faithfulness. Does that make sense? There will be an opportunity for me to walk out what I said. Even as the disciples in Acts 4, we said, when they prayed for boldness, they went out. And he said, that stretch out your hand with signs and wonders. Did they go out and do signs and wonders? Yes. You know why? They trusted him. When we get to that place of trust, and see, that's everything with stewardship. Everything in stewardship is saying, God, I trust you as the provider, as my source, that I'm not the source. So that's whether it be my job, whether it my livelihood, whatever it is. When I say, God, I acknowledge you as my source, whether it be peace. See, this, it's not exempt from any area of our lives. When we take that trust and we put it in the truth of his word, the logos, the revealed will of God, when he said, this is who I am, if you'll trust me with it. Two things takes place, faithfulness and rest. I believe that's why Paul talks so much in Hebrews chapter 4. You look at the, the farmer. I'll just stay with it. The farmer, when he plants the seed in the ground, he doesn't go out every other day and dig it up to see if the seed's doing anything. He's at a position of rest. Now, he's not in a position of inactivity. He's in a position of directed activity. So what he's saying is not that I don't have to do anything. I put the seed in the ground. Now it's all up to the earth. He'll go out and he'll take care of the land. He'll tend the land, but he's not working on the seed to get it to do what it's supposed to do. Are you with me? Is it too warm in here? Uh, see what I live with. Jesus help me. It's okay to fan. If you're warm, you can fan. If you're cold, snuggle with your mate. Melanie. <laughs> He's not working on the seed to make it work. What he's doing is, is he's working on the soil. And in this parable, the soil is our heart. So when we take a truth of the word, our position is to stay at rest. You know, as I was studying that, the, the Hebrew work, word for rest is manua, manua. Is everything in Hebrew ends with a manua. And it's actually the root of that word is nuach, and it's where Noah got his name. It's rest. It's rest. So as I was meditating on resting and what the Lord is saying about rest, because Hebrews chapter four, he said, there remains a rest for the children of God. And the, children, the Israelites didn't enter that rest, so they didn't receive the promises of God. So this is so important. If we want to see the manifestation of who God says he is in our lives, not just go through life doing church, but if we want to see God manifest as who he said he is, there has to be rest. 
There's no way around it. There has to be a place where we quit toiling to make the seed do what it's supposed to do and rest in what God has said. But if we don't trust him, we'll never rest. He said, that's why trust is the foundation. But as I was meditating on that, Genesis chapter six says this, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And his name means rest. So what the Lord said to him, he said, so rest found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. God's ability to work on our behalf when we don't do it. Not us producing, but us resting. Rest found favor. Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I I don't think you can separate the two because when we truly rest and when we truly trust, they work hand in hand. You're not going to see one without the other. You're going to see trust and rest uh, working together. Here's how how the Lord said it to me. He said, rest and trust work together. We rest in what God, what he has done, and we trust that he will do what he said he would do. So rest allows God to work in our lives. Trust releases God to work in our lives. Do you hear me? Rest allows God to work in our life. Trust releases God to work in our life. So as we rest, we say, I'm going to let the seed do what, what you said it would do. I'm not going to dig it up. I'm not going to go out and tell the seed work. Work, seed. Bring a harvest. Come on, baby. I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm sorry. I just came right out. I enjoyed it, though. It was kind of fun. You're the God of miracles. Woo! Amen, let's go home. (laughs) Something's coming on me. I'm getting kind of scared. He's going to take me there. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. We rest. I love the Lord. He's so good. (laughs) Get it back together. Come on, on, preacher. (laughs) As we rest, see, this is so paramount because we can hear preaching and preaching and preaching and we can hear about rest, we can hear about trust and we can say amen, but then we go home and we shout at our seed instead of resting and allowing God to do what he wants to do. Instead of saying, God, I believe you're faithful. See, it all comes back to this foundation of do I trust him as father? Do I trust him as God? Do I trust that he's who he said he is? Even in light of the circumstances don't look like I want them to look, do I trust him? I look in every area of our life. When I really trust, I'll be faithful. I trust my wife. And the fruit of that trust is I'm faithful. I know that she trusts me. And trust is given and gained. It's given until lost, then it's gained. Amen, preacher. That's true right there. But as we walk in trust, the fruit of trust is faithfulness. Is I want to be faithful to what God's calling. Does that mean I do it perfectly? No. Not at all. But it means if I fall, I fall forward and I get up and I keep going. Because I know he's faithful. And he's promised he would never leave me nor forsake me. Not based on my good works, 
but based on his will, his goodness, his grace. So as I rest in that, I'm telling you, I I know in my life, as I've spent time meditating on this about being a steward and what does it look like to me in all the areas of my life, you can't compartmentalize it because that's who we are. We're stewards in everything and everything in our time, our relationships, our family, our finances. You are a steward. You don't own any of it. And when I can come to grasp that in my mind, in my heart, and say, God, I want to steward well what you've trusted me with. And when I make that choice, there comes a rest because it's not me performing to get God to be faithful. It's me resting in who God is. Rest allows God to work in our life. Trust releases God. It's not us trying to make it happen. It's saying, Jesus, this is who you are. I trust you, and I'm going to take my hands off of it. That's easier said than done many times, uh, but it's still true. One of the the key passages that uh, the Lord has been ministering to my heart with about this is Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. I've shared it quite a bit and past months, not necessarily the past few weeks, but Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. You will keep him. Who will? He. He. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So I want to give you a few uh, definitions out of this passage of Scripture from the Hebrew. The first is keep. It says you will keep him in perfect peace. The word keep there, it literally means this, to guard, to protect and maintain, to watch over, to protect, to preserve. So it says you, Lord, You will guard, you will protect, you will watch over him, her, in perfect peace. And this is the one that really messed me up. The word perfect peace in the Hebrew, it literally means, here's how it literally reads in the Hebrew. He says, you will... Well, this isn't literally how it reads because Hebrew reads right to left instead of left to right. And I'm not going there. It'll confuse you. Not because you're not smart, because it confuses me sometimes. And I want to get you confused with me being confused. That clear, right? It's mud. He said, here's how it says, how we would read it. You will keep him in peace, peace. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus would say, verily, verily. It was an exclamation. Listen up. This is not a might or a maybe. This is a definite. The verily, verily. He repeated himself, not because he was stuttering, because he wanted you to know the emphasis that he was placing on what he was getting ready to say. Here, he says this. You will keep him in peace, peace. The same word. And I guess translators, the best way they could articulate it is to say perfect, complete peace. But here's what it literally means. Peace means this. It's the shalom. 
It's peace, prosperity, success, welfare, a state of health, of deliverance, of completeness, of soundness. So he said, you will guard, you will protect, you will watch over and preserve with prosperity, success, welfare, state of health, deliverance, completeness, with prosperity, success, welfare, state of health, deliverance, completeness. Who? The select few? No, he whose mind is stayed on you. Listen to this. This is awesome. I'm not going to sing again. The word mind there, and I'm not going to pronounce, I've got the the Hebrew here. I'm not going to pronounce it. You've laughed enough at me today. It literally means this. He said, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The word mind there, here's what it means. Your conception and your imagination. So that which we can conceive and that which we can imagine. He said, if you'll just dream with me, I'm bigger than you think. I can do exceeding abundantly above. You know, that's so sobering. That passage is encouraging and challenging to me. Ephesians 3, verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. Because as I meditate on that, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, If you don't like what you're seeing, you're not, you're not even believing where you think you are because I'm already doing what exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is you need to raise your thinking because I'm already doing more than you're thinking. And if you don't like what you're seeing, you need to change your thinking. He said, I'll keep him in perfect peace whose conception and imagination is stayed on me. You know, that's one thing I've noticed. I think that's one of the things where the enemy will try to steal the seed is that he'll try to steal your imagination. When you go into discouragement and, dis- and, and you didn't see what you thought you wanted to see, the first thing you stop doing is dreaming. You stop imagining it could actually be better and thinking it'll always be this way. So what you do is you leave this, this position of being in peace because you take your mind off of the possibilities in God and, and look at the impossibilities of life. And we get discouraged and then we immediately go, God, where are you? Our conception and our imagination. And it went on to say this, in the sense of what it's communicating, the, the, the program that I have, it'll give you the definition, it'll give you the sense or the tense of what, how it's being said. And it said this, the sense of this word mind, it literally means this, an attitude of mind, especially one that favors one alternative over others. So what is he saying? God is saying, I'm giving you a choice. I put before you, he actually says death and life. Choose life. Life and death, choose life. He said, I put it before you. Don't choose death, choose life. So he said here, the word mind, it means an attitude of mind, especially one that favors one alternative over others. 
So that's so cool. Because what it means is we have a choice. Amen. That we're not robots. That when we get born again, we're not just on this road and whatever will be, will be. That's not it. We get to choose to dream with God. We get to choose to look at the logos of God, his revealed will here and say, God, I can believe not only is that good, but that's a word for me. And I can see that happening in my life. I'm telling you from 100% personal testimony, there have been things in my life that I believe God for. I didn't see, so I quit dreaming. I resolved that this is how it's gonna be because I believed, I spoke, I did everything I was supposed to do. If you have to think less of me, it's okay. I'm okay with that. But I realized, I went back and I looked and I realized that I allowed myself, I made the decision. God didn't do it to me. I made the decision. And he said, I've given you that opportunity to choose one over the other. That's, that's freeing. That's not condemning. That's freeing. That's God saying, I love you so much. I've given you abundant life. Now choose it. When you have the opportunity, you choose life. When there's, there's situations and circumstances in our life, we can choose to walk in peace. I've told you, Lord, you had me sing, then you had me say this again, that driving is a challenge. I'm doing better. I'm doing much. I can't imagine. I told my wife the other day, I can't imagine people who drive for a living. There's a grace on your life. I'm just telling you. There is a grace on your life. Thank you guys for those who do it. For those who are behind a wheel all day long, Jesus is beautiful. There's a grace to do that. Because there are people out there (laughs) who need grace on their life. They need the gift of driving to come upon them and help them. (laughs) I receive it, Lord. Just a grace, grace on me. And I noticed, you know how God is so good? He said, Todd, it's a choice. It's a choice. I noticed I could be on the, on the phone with my wife going somewhere. And I'm saying 100% of the time. And I've caught myself, so I quit doing it. Even if it happens, I don't say anything. I try not to say anything. But there's always that person. You know they're there, right? They're always there. Always there, that person. And they take on different shapes and forms and sizes and automobiles, but they are always there. And the majority of the time when I'm on the phone with my wife, they show up. They manifest right there in front of me. And I want to cast them out in the name of the Lord. They show up. And I noticed, because this lightning quick mind of mine, When they do, I make a choice. I choose one alternative over the other. And the majority of the time, I choose strife over peace. And you know what the Lord's been revealing to me? I don't cuss. I don't curse them. I don't wish them to wreck or anything bad like that. I just have a tendency to talk about their inadequacies. And their lack of intelligence. (laughs) 
And what the Lord has been showing me, they don't hear it. I wouldn't say it to hurt them or anything like that. But he said, what you're doing is you're making a choice to release something in the, in the room, in the car, with you, and in your mindset that says this is okay. And you choose not to be at rest and be at peace because what someone else did. And he told me there's always a choice. Choose wisely because you've not been choosing wisely. And so I can be in that situation. Something can happen. I can feel yeah, rise up on the inside of me, not in my spirit, in my mind, my will, my emotions. And I, listen, I have made a choice at times, and I'm getting better, and making a choice of going, you know what? It's not going to affect my eternity. It's not going to affect my day. It might slow me down a little bit, and I could really help them if they could hear me. But that's not going to happen today. So I have to make a choice to choose one over the other. I got, I choose to set my mind on you. And my wife, she's so gracious and so graceful. She'll say, well, maybe the Lord's slowing you down for a reason. (laughs) And the Lord helps me a lot when I ride with Stephen. Because he's that person. <laughs> That's who he is. <laughs> you here for me, Stephen. It's all about the Lord. And you're here to help me. We'll be riding down the road in the 45, Stephen, be 30. How you doing? But in Jesus, beautiful. I love the Lord. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat. Look at him. Look at the speed arm. Look at him. Look at the speed arm. Look at him. Look at the speed arm. But the Lord is good. (laughs) And he has set me free. And you, that's comical, but it's so so true. Because if I'll give up my peace in that area, it just sets the stage for me to sacrifice it and, and forfeit it everywhere else. When another opportunity arises that may not be as insignificant as this driver in front of me, if I have conditioned myself to stay in strife, I've opened the door to the devil, one, and I have a mindset that said, this is how I operate. And when I do, I shut the door. I'm not at rest, so I'm not allowing God to do what he wants to do in my life. It's, uh, I can't get mad at him about why isn't he doing something. It's because I've shut the door for him to work. And what I'm telling you is we can, we can get to where that becomes our our constant. And when it becomes our constant, you know what? We get blind to it. You know these, uh, I think it's a trash can commercial. Talking about being nose blind. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they'll show the kid in his room's a big sneaker because he's nose blind or, or the kitchen's like a big trash can because you become nose blind to it. The same thing happens in our lives. I I look at stuff like that and the Lord will just really start speaking to my heart and going, man, that's that's amazing, Lord, that we can become blind to things like that because it becomes familiar to us, so it becomes blind to us and we don't see it anymore. And then when we do see it, if we're not careful, we'll be self-righteous and say, that's not me, that's them. (laughs) Okay, I'll keep going. (laughs) Wow whose mind is stayed on you. 
This is good. The word stayed there literally means to rest upon. It means this. An example of that is to place an object in a place <clears throat> with focus of the rest that will come. To rest upon. I rested this paper upon this. This paper is not doing, it's not doing anything to stay here. It's resting here. I've placed it on something that will keep it. And it's resting here. You with me? So my mind stayed on him means I've, I've positioned myself somewhere where I'm not moving, I'm in him. It's to lean upon, to be braced up against. Isn't that who Holy Spirit is? He's our paracletos, the one called alongside us to brace us up, to support us. Uh, let me see, there was another one. It literally means this, to rest to be in a state of physical refreshment with the necessities for renewal of strength. So my mind being stayed on him is a position of rest. It's a position of rest. That's so good. It also means to strengthen. This one word stayed, it means to rest upon, to lean upon, to sustain, to rest in, to strengthen. And the word trust means to be full of confidence. To confide in one. To set one's hope and confidence upon one. To say, God, I trust you. I rely, I put my confidence in you. In your ability to do what you said you would do. Now, see, this is why I say, and, it, and the last word there is, uh, he said, because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. That word everlasting means exactly what it says, everlasting, eternal strength. But the word strength there means to be on a rock or on solid ground. So what is he saying? He's saying that when we set our mind on him, when it stayed on him, he'll keep us in peace, peace. Because we trust in him, and because in him is an everlasting rock that's not moved. It won't be moved. It won't be shaken. It's solid. It's a solid foundation. He said that's where he wants us to be, where he wants us to abide, for us to rest and to trust, is in him. He's the, the ever-present, unchanging one. It's who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. And he said, as we rest in him, as we trust in him. And I, you know, I, the, and my imagination went to, uh, is, um, have you been, everybody here been to the mountains? Okay, I'm getting a lot of head shakes and some just looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. But we're going to assume everybody here has been to the mountains. And uh, it's one thing to go to the mountains. It's another thing to go up on a mountain to sit on the rock on the edge of the rock and just look out. You know what? Perspective changes. When you're on that rock, and that's literally what this, mean, this literally means when it says uh, it will be everlasting strength. It means a high mountain, a rock. It's what the definition of the word means. So how many of you know that if, if I'm right here in a traffic jam or if I'm up on a mountain looking at a traffic jam, everything changes. It's the same traffic jam right? The physical properties of what's taking place on that road do not change. 
there is a traffic jam. But when I'm on the mountain, I'm seated on the rock, I'm looking, it's totally perspective to being here. And all I can see is what's right in front of me. He said, I want your mind to be that where you come up. I think that's why we're seated in heavenly places. Because he said, I want you to see like I see. I want you to see from my perspective. Because I want you to trust. As you trust, as you rest and as you trust, you allow me to work in your life. And I believe that's what he's saying to us today. As I look at that, at that the parable of the, the sower, of the soils, God's saying, I want you to trust me. And even as you trust me, you can know the good soil. We talked about this last week. The good soil, even in the good soil, there were three different returns that took place, right? Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. He said that there can be different returns, even when you do it, when you are keeping the soil right. But here's what's so amazing. If it's just 30-fold, that's 30 times what you had. I'll take that. If that's peace, if that's provision, if that's rest, if that's healing, 30 times what you have, 60 times what you have, 100 times what you have. He said, as you set your mind on me, as you keep your mind stayed on me, that's what I'll produce in your life. So again, we can plant seed and we can see different harvests with that same seed, but there's always harvest. There's always harvest. And he's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to set your mind on me. Rest in me, as Hebrews 4 says. Rest allows God to work in our lives. Trust releases God to work in our lives. I'm going to share this quickly and then I'll close. I'm not going to read the passage, but in, in Matthew chapter 13, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through uh, 30, and in 34 through 43, there's the parable of the tares. There's the parable of the tares. And uh, in there, it talks about this farmer sowed, and then after he sowed, someone came in and sowed tares. You know, are you familiar with what I'm saying? I just want to make sure you're with me so I don't have to read it all. As I was looking at that, here's what the definition of tare is what a tear was. Listen, a particularly undesirable weed resembling wheat and possessing a seed which is poisonous. So God said this as I was looking at that. He said, as you're tending your God, and he, he referenced here that, uh, that the tears could be people or thoughts that are sown in. There can be people, help me Jesus, that the enemy will sow in your life that look like they're trying to bring you peace and all they're trying to bring is poison. If they're not pulling you into intimacy with the Lord and not bringing you into unity with the brethren, they're a tear. And you know what's so sad? It said it looks like wheat, but it's poisonous. And you know what it'll do? It'll choke the wheat. If there's a thought that comes into your mind that doesn't bear witness with the Logos of God and who he is, then it could be a tear. It could look good. It can look just like wheat, but it can be a tear. If it tells you you're not good enough, you're not going to make it, that things are gone, if it, if it robs hope from you, it's a tear. 
It can look like wheat, but it's poison. Is that amazing? And that's why they said, you know, he said, we know you got to get the tares out. He said, no, you can't tell the difference sometimes. Only the spirit can tell. And he said, you don't rip them out. Let me get it. Let me take care of it. And you know, you know what the Lord has shown me in that? 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. If I think there's a tear, you know what I do with I love them. <laughs> and here's what I've noticed. Either they'll get born again and become wheat, or they'll hit the road. Because a tear can't stand love. It can't tolerate love. Because love can't fail. And the purpose of a tear is to make you fail. It looks like wheat, but it's poison. And its purpose is to make you fail. It can be, it can be anything. It can be people. And I believe that we see them in, in uh, our lives. We see them in our country. There's tares that are being sown. They look like peace. They look, they look like sheep, but they're not sheep. They sound good, but if you hear what they're really saying, it's poison. It's wanting to bring division, and it's not God. We ought to be wise enough. We ought to spend enough time with him that we can tell the difference and that we don't, we don't curse them, we love them because love never fails. It doesn't mean we bring them in and want to be buddy-buddy with them. That's not what I mean by loving them. What I mean is love them enough to tell them the truth. <laughs> Amen. That's a good one to end on. So in stewardship, Let's choose a position of rest so that we can allow God to work in our lives and let's trust him so that we can release him to work in our lives. I, in the light of what's going on in our country right now, I believe we're on the edge of seeing God do some amazing things if the church will understand their stewardship. If they'll understand what's been trusted on the inside of them and they will till and tend to their heart the soil of their heart, they'll shine in this dark time like they've never shined before. And we'll see Jesus high and lifted up. And we'll see men and women coming to the glory of the Lord. But it starts here. It starts with us saying, God, I choose to be a good steward of what you've placed in my hand. Let's stand.